Hello, and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast is for crafters of all ages and walks of life who love connecting with other crafters, making crafts a lifestyle, or ready to turn their crafts into a profitable side business. Tune in weekly for honest conversations and interviews about industry news, trends, lifestyle, and business. Hey, Craft Cuties. Welcome to another episode of Crafty Hands Club Magazine podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Handle Crafty Hands Club Mag using hashtag CHC podcast when you take a screenshot of today's episode that you're listening to. Our guest today is someone that is not only inspiring but have a lot of talents like (laughs) you meet people they have a couple talents and then you meet people and they have tons of talents but they all make sense they all lead you somewhere and that's exactly what comes to mind with today's guest our guest is Denise Joy Hart and I'm going to give a introduction of who she is. Uh, She's a multi-passionate designer. She's a veteran speaker. Uh, That's actually how I met her, 2016. She's an entrepreneur and an educator. Actually, she's a professor at Howard University. In her former role as sales coordinator for Motivating the Masses with Lisa Nichols via remote virtual learning, Denise taught and trained lots of entrepreneurs to improve their sales and speak powerfully from any platform. She is a sought-after designer, and she has her own YouTube show called Thrifty Fly DIY. So she works with spaces on a budget. (laughs) Through her creativity curated designs, she helps homeowners make their home custom on a budget in one weekend or less. It's not just a makeover, but it transforms your life. That is her slogan. Ladies and gentlemen, again, Miss Denise Joy Hart, welcome. Hey, everybody, what's going on, good people? Thank you so much for inviting me to the Crafty Hands Club. No problem. So (laughs) Denise, you have had quite a journey. So you've been with Lisa Nichols, who's internationally known, and you were sales coordinator for her. Like, what got you to that? Because that is huge. Well, well, it was certainly a wonderful, wonderful experience. And to just to give a little insight. It was so interesting how I even met Lisa Nichols. It's such a fascinating, one of those sort of manifesting stories. I'll think of how to really abbreviate it. I had been a solo entrepreneur. At that time, I ran a company in the Washington, D.C. DMV area. I ran the premier performing arts training studio for uh, young people and for uh, even adults acting, writing. I had a staff and I had running this business successfully for, at that time, about 16 years. And I had never been to a conference for entrepreneurship or anything. 
And I ha- I saw something on Facebook that said, you know, there was this conference, which was run by Doreen Rainey, and that I didn't even know who was going to be there. But something in my spirit told me I should go. I also, at that time, had been thinking about getting out of my own backyard. I was very successful in, you know, in the DMV area, what I had been doing for so long. And then I prayed and I was in meditation and something told me you're going to meet somebody who's going to take you beyond your own backyard. So when I got to the conference, I kid you not, I was so excited. Whenever I met somebody, I was thinking, oh, is this the person? Oh, you know, in my head, is this the person? Well, I kid you not, it's a true story. A sister friend who wasn't really my friend, she was a friend of a friend, she saw me and she remembered me, but I didn't remember her. Turns out this sister friend worked for Lisa Nichols. She remembered me. I'm trying to remember how do I even know this person? And she says to me, I want you to meet Lisa. I didn't even know who she was talking about. I was like, Lisa? And she said, you know, Lisa Nichols. And I went, oh, you mean the lady from The Secret, the secret lady. Oh, yeah, I'd like to meet her. That is exactly how it happened. She took me to meet Lisa and she introduced me this way. Here's the woman I've been telling you about. Now I'm looking around thinking, who she, who is she? She meant me. This woman had been telling Lisa about me. Now remember, oh, wow. I can't even remember the woman. And Lisa said to me, so I understand you want to become a part of our community. Honestly, I didn't even know what they were talking about because I didn't know that much about Lisa, except that she was in the secret. Well, needless to say, I went on, had the experience at the conference, met with Lisa, spoke with her, we clicked, and I decided to quote, join her global leadership program. And from there, the, the rest became history. I went far beyond my own backyard. I, I served thousands of people all over the country. I ended up working with Steve Harvey's company. I mean, it just totally transformed my life and how I thought about entrepreneurship. I'm sure it did because that is huge. And like I said, she's known internationally. So I'm pretty sure there were a lot of opportunities. Now, listeners might be thinking like, okay, if it was that good. Why is she designing? Like, why did well, she leave? That's a beautiful question. Here's what here's, here's part of my life philosophy that we have both temporary seasons and long-term seasons. I agree. Sometimes the temp, right. Sometimes a temporary season can evolve into a long-term season. And when I look back, that season was a powerful, revolutionary, temporary season for both me and everyone whose life I was able to impact in that moment. I knew that it was coming to an end because it wasn't as fulfilling as the, cre- the other creative endeavors that I had for my, the gifts that I have. And so, you know, I ended that part of that, but it lasted five years. So it was temporary, but it was a good long run. And I've been able to take those relationships and the skills that I developed in that role and transfer them right into my interior design and create, you know, creative design business. Now, Denise, a couple things, because with seasons, and that's something that I always talk about, like, we all, everything has a season. And sometimes we don't know when it's coming to a close, but you were able to recognize that the season was coming to a close because it didn't give you that fulfillment that it once gave you. So, and sometimes in business, we do something for so long and we think, oh, I just have to stay with it. I just have to stay the course, things to get better, things to improve. What would you say to listeners who are stuck in their business And it might be that their season is coming to an end. 
but they don't want to look at it as that. They just see it as, let me keep pushing and make it work. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to, you know, give up. Well, what I would say to someone in that situation is to go within because our best source is actually when we go into meditation and we connect with our higher power and we ask those critical questions because the only individual is there is you and your higher power. So there's no one to fool or to show up or boast for and to be critically honest. If you don't have that wellspring of joy any longer, more than likely, it is time for you to transition. Because I have learned over my life and the many multi-passionate activities that I've been able to do, that at the end of the day, it must have a quality and a feeling of upliftment and joy and, and happiness that carries me through all of the small details, you know, that you have to go through and figure out and all those, you know, all of those elements. And so to go within and be honest with yourself. That's true. Now, you took visual arts in your high school years. I did. And it translated later on to interior design. Did you ever think that you would be doing interior design? 100%. That's the easy, it's the easy yes, 100%. And the reason why I know is because I also have a degree in the theater. And as a result of being in the theater, acting and writing, I, you know, I also direct plays, I do TV writing. I had to know how to put, build a set, right? You know, when you go to the theater, you had to know how to build a set. And so I was very, very skilled at, you know, selecting colors. Really, I was designing a room, but it was the room that actors would be in. In addition, I, everybody would ask me, come help me set up my house or come help me put my room together because they knew that I was not only good at, I love to do it. I would, somebody doing something, oh, let me come help you. And then when I would put my touch on it, they said, girl, you got the gift because I would never know how to do this or put it together this way. And so for many years, because I was very much in my other seasons, I simply did the design work at no charge to anyone because I literally loved doing it. I always said, quote unquote, when I get older, I'm going to go back to visual art and design. I'm going to, you know, expand into that because guess what? My very first business was called Strictly Kids Decorating over 30 years ago. I designed kids rooms and that was short lived. Yes, that was short lived. And then I moved fully into the theater. I was on television and, you know, I really followed that, that part of my season of my life. I did the theater and television work very much full out. I always knew, and I would say, quote unquote, when I get older, I'm going to go back to visual art and doing interior design. And so I guess this is me older. (laughs) Yeah, it's just funny how things that you do in your younger years show up in your older years. Yeah, that's just a good story. And yeah, when you are directing plays, you do do set and scene designs. And there was one post you had on Instagram. And I was like, oh, my goodness, you took a space. I don't even think it was a room. You took a space and you made it like a very tranquil, chill laundry area. And it looked like an entire laundry room. And I was like, oh, my goodness. She was just an empty kind of like you say, the homeowners hired me to do that space. And it was it was really drudge. I mean, you nobody you 
it was like a cave. You didn't even want to go in there. And they love it so much, the joy and the zeal that I brought to that room. They, they just love it. Yeah, I loved it. And it wasn't even my space. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, uh, and I responded and you said, that's exactly what I was looking I, to, to give them. Now with interior design, because we know that most interior designs go the expensive route, you know, for corporate office spaces. So you decide to do the home, but on a budget. (laughs) I believe in custom on a budget. I think that, you know, you know, my growing up experience really frames how I approach design. You know, my parents divorced, my mother ended up caring for uh, her, uh, my siblings and I, and we were, you know, we were pretty, pretty poor. We lived, I lived in 13 different homes from the time I was born till I was 17, because quite frankly, we were constantly outrunning the eviction notice. So I know what it means to have a space that feels special. And I know what it means to not have a lot of money to create a space with that kind of special and comforting, you know, vibe to it. And I know mm-hmm. what a difference it makes in someone's life. And so I decided that I would design with custom on a budget, custom meaning unique, special, specific to the homeowner, and that I would be okay and comfortable with supporting that person at whatever budget they have to do their project within the budget to make it magical. And I I feel really good that I've been successful at doing that. So how long have you been doing the interior design? This really all was triggered out of the pandemic. Let me back up. Correct. So I actually was going to start the YouTube channel in 2019. However, I'm still teaching as a college professor and I got this once in a lifetime opportunity to do a program with Amazon Studios and I had to go live in LA. So I had to put the YouTube channel on hold. Well, fast forward, the pandemic hits and, you know, we had to fly back from LA, you know, in um, March of 2020. And like everyone in the world, I'm kind of twiddling my thumbs in shock at this huge shift. And um, because I had to start teaching online from my home, I ended up having all this extra time, quite honestly, that I would normally have not had. And something in my spirit said, you need to go ahead and start your YouTube channel now because you have all this time. So I just started doing odd jobs around my own home and people quickly just started gravitating to the videos and everything. And a person, a a friend of mine reached out to me on Facebook and said, you need a show. That comment triggered me to create the show, DIY Duo Redesign, which I made into a series on my YouTube channel, which is how I ended up doing the laundry room and going into people's homes where I did everything except that they would participate and do some of that DIY sweat equity, like maybe paint the walls or just whatever we decided. And I built a five episode series out of that commitment. And then people started wanting to hire me to interior design their homes. That was a good time to actually do because during the pandemic, most of us were home. Correct. And and videos went up and Netflix and everything else went up. Yes, right. It was just good. That was just a good timing to do that. So speaking of such... Now that when this pandemic hit, virtual became the new normal. 
doing thing, mostly everything digital because we couldn't be in physical contact with one another. So interior design is usually physical. Yeah, yeah, but we were able to make an e. Uh, we call that e design or a digital, a digital format. So, for example, I did Facebook Live consults. I would do it over my phone, uh, or sometimes people would do it over Zoom. And you know, I have, of course, a process. People would fill out a questionnaire. I call it a lifestyle assessment. In fact, I have a client right now who's in New Orleans, and I'm doing her whole a home office. I've never been there, but we worked it out over over virtual. So how does that go? They take pictures of their physical well, space. We get on Zoom or she takes me with her laptop and I can see the space and, you know, but also take pictures. They send video, even though I also do a virtual walkthrough with them either on their phone or, you know, on their computer, holding their, you know, holding their laptop and I'm walking, they're walking around so I can see everything. But then they follow that up with photos and videos. With visual arts, there's visual artists out here that feels like, you know, my work is my work. I don't have to talk much. You know, my work speaks for itself. But we both know that there has to be some type of speaking involved. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially when you're taking it to a business. So since you have public speaking background, what are tips for someone that's really good in their visual craft, but they may not be confident to communicate it or they don't know how to present it or position in terms of talking about it. Talking about the art, it depends on the reason why one is speaking of it or talking about it. If you are seeking to sell your art, then you absolutely do want to get more comfortable with speaking about it from that perspective. And again, it's a transactional situation, then I would suggest that, you know, if you have a website, you need to craft all of the language on your website so that people are really clear about the fact that it is for sale, perhaps maybe what kind of home the piece would be suitable for or space or environment. So I would just suggest that they get accustomed to speaking in sales language, finding out what it is that the client or the end user wants. Do they want something that's eclectic and or bright or maybe culturally symbolic? I mean, you know, you kind of have to understand who your target market is, if you will, and become comfortable with speaking about that. If they are selling out of, um, I'm trying to think of a situation where they might be selling at a, at a, maybe like a farmer's market, right? Where you set up a stall, where you absolutely do have to become more comfortable with discussing your process, for example, because sometimes people don't understand, well, why does this piece cost six, $700? Well, you know, it takes, first of all, the creative intellectual property of the idea. That's the first part that is, it, it should have a price on that because mm-hmm. creativity, my genius. Second, the time it took to put the piece together is finished. It, to you, it might look like, oh, you just probably did that really fast. Well, honestly, it doesn't matter if I did it really fast or it took a very long time. The fact is that it is my creative intellectual property. And the reason why someone wants it is because they can't do it. They don't want to do it. It's not their gift. And so you want to be able to perhaps talk, speak to the fact that this piece is done through my method where I use, for example, uh, I paint on mud cloth as my canvas because the cultural heritage aspect is the energy that I like to be undergirding all of my pieces. And then I like to use acrylic paint so that there's some texture or three-dimensional quality to the pieces. And I use a set color palette, which is my signature. 
So when you describe it like that, people be sense, oh, I'm getting something unique. Oh, you know, they, they begin to have more of an appreciation. And I actually just described the piece that's behind me. You had mentioned when we got on our on this on this uh, meeting that those two paintings behind me are painted in that way. Yeah, they are beautiful. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, the scheme and it just goes with your outfit, too. <laughs> Okay, I, I don't plan that, but thank you. I was just going to ask, was that on purpose? Oh, or, you girl, know? no. Mm -mm. Yeah, no every, painting, just hang up there. Yeah, like all of the colors just blend so well. Now, the name, I think the name of your company is interesting. Faraha Design Method is, your, yes. is the name. Is there a backstory behind the name? Well, there um, is. There really is. So Furaha actually is a Swahili, and it means joyful gladness. After working with so many people, whether they were compensating me or not, people would say often like, oh, I, I just feel this the joy in this room. They, they would speak about it. And I thought, Somehow I am infusing the spirit and the energy of joyfulness and gladness and happiness into, into spaces. And I wanted a word that captured that essence. And I wanted the word to also be unique because I, my company, my, my fingerprint is unique. And then I also wanted it to have some heritage connection. Uh, and I did my uh, ancestral roots two years ago. And although this word is Swahili, my people are from uh, Mali and Nigeria. I wanted a word from the motherland. And so I researched and I thought, Furaha, and it had just an upbeat temple to me, Furaha, you know, just made me want to jiggle my shoulders. And, and it meant joyful. So I, I decided upon that. And I'm so glad it, it truly embodies what I stand for as a, a, a designer and an artist. You have interior design and then you have home decor. And sometimes the two are used interchangeably. Yeah, they but are. There's a slight difference. Can you talk about from your perspective, since you are the interior designer, what's the difference between that and the, and the home decor? Traditionally speaking, although there are so many exceptions to this, I being one, the interior designer has attended and received some sort of a degree more typically to, to sort of have that title. And in some states, you can't even use the term interior designer if you aren't quote unquote degreed, not certified, but degreed in it. However, anyone can, yeah, anyone can use the term home decorator or interior decorator or interior stylist. Anyone can use that. However, as I mentioned, there are so many exceptions to, um, to that sort of rule of thumb. There are so many people who are what we call self-taught. And I would certainly say that I am to some degree self-taught. However, because I have such a significant visual arts background, I have such a significant background in the set design aspect of theater. I learned so much of what a person would actually study in, in interior design because it was a necessity for the fields that I was in. And then additionally, I had such an intent, intuitive passion for it. I always was studying and researching and reading. And, you know, I love patterns. I love color. I'm just really excited about it. So that's where the, quote, the kind of self-taught part comes in into play. There's a, a designer who I really, really, really admire. She's a self-taught interior designer. Her name is 
Bridget Romanek. She's actually one of the judges on Ellen DeGeneres' new show. Uh, I forget the name of it, but where they pick a, a designer. You know, they, it's like a competition. And she's self-taught completely, never. She's been in, uh, featured in House Beautiful and some of those major magazines. And I say, you know, there are others like me who have an affinity. And although technically in the industry, some of the interior designers frown if you haven't gotten the degree, I'm not really bothered by it. I know what I know. Your value. And you have your own niche. And when you when you have your own niche and you have an audience to support that, it really doesn't matter. And as I was listening to you, I was surprised to hear some states don't recognize it if you don't have a degree. Because as a teenager, I was really into interior design because I changed my bedroom all the time. Uh-huh. But that's a whole different story. And I actually went to a school that had a major for interior design. But I did not major in it as I got into it. And I said, oh, wow, it's a lot into, you know, decorating is the small part of it. That's right. That's right. So my question to you, Denise, is for someone that's visually creative and they are at that crossroad, like, should I just keep doing this as a hobby or should I go ahead and do this as a business? Everyone's been you know, telling me people are even paying me, you know, for my services. What three tips would you give someone that's in that stage? Well, I think, first of all, that's, that's an excellent position to be in, to have uh, evolved sort of a hobby into this pseudo business, right? It's not mm-hmm. perhaps fully structured yet. But I think the first thing is to, to simply determine does that person want to be an entrepreneur? That's a big step. It's a, it's a major commitment. Do you want to take on both the creative aspect and the CEO, which is the business part of entrepreneurship? Do you mm-hmm. want to wear those hats and, and manage them both well so that you have a successful, thriving business that is both gratifying to her and her clients and also financially fruitful? That's the first thing. Do you want to do that? And if the answer is yes, I would suggest that they, they are certain that they get their business infrastructure set up. You know, if you don't, it will, ooh, it'll just come and bite you in the butt. It just will. Then after that, because they're already getting clients, then just examine any part of their business so that it shifts from the pseudo business to an actual fully fledged functioning business, meaning do you, do you have the social media footprint that you want to be surrounded? Like for me, I use Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Those are my three areas. Some people use, use LinkedIn. I don't. But if that's your target market, then, you know, build that out. Make sure you have that. Make sure you have whatever kind of web presence that you feel would support you. So start to ask those critical questions so that even though you already have clients, now that you're making it into a formal actual business structure, you just want it to look as polished and professional as as you want it to for the business you're running. That's good advice. Yeah, because it's totally different from going from a hobby to that pseudo phase to an actual business. It is definitely a huge step. And you do want to do things the right way. It pays off in the end. Now, speaking of business, you have had several business endeavors over the years. 
What were some of those tough business lessons that you learned? Well, that's an excellent question. Woo. One of the one of the first ones I learned was about being a, my second business. I was in partnership. When the partnership just went, just didn't, you know, was no longer functioning. It was so difficult and having, uh, not having good dissolution agreement in place. Dissolution means before anything goes sour, the, the two entities write out a document which says, if something goes sour, here's how we'll handle it. Well, we did not have that. And so as a result, I just decided to basically give the business to that person and I started all over. That was really tough because I had put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into the partnership, but I wanted my peace of mind. And so I simply started fresh and started anew, but it was a, it was a tough wake up call. I'm sure it was. And I heard that with partnerships, you really have to get attorneys heavily involved to get the language. Well, yeah, yeah. We and, didn't put dissolution. We did not. It's called, you know, dissolution agreement. And we just didn't. I mean, you're thinking it'll, it'll, it'll never be us, <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> and it ended up being us. And it was really a wake up call. So you had experience being in partnerships versus not being in partnerships. That's like a good range of oh, yeah. experience right there. I've been sure. a consultant. Like I, with Lisa, I was a consultant. People often just thought I worked in her company, but I really ran my own business as a consultant with her. She contracted with my consultant company to do the work that I did with her company. I've seen a few different scenarios. And then let's talk about pricing too, because that's part of business. I'm sure there's people out here that have like really big interior design kind of ideas. They look through the magazines, right? And then they say, oh, I want something like that. But, you know, the budget doesn't support that. But for a listener that might be listening, that does interior design, they do a good job, but not confident in pricing. You've been in business for quite a while before yeah. you got to this point. So you were more than confident in your price point. What advice would you have for someone who's not sure what to charge or they, sometimes you could take on more work and you don't realize that's a lot of work until you do it? So here's what I would suggest to that listener, to that brilliant designer who's putting their toe initially in the, in the field. I would suggest that they set a specific timeline for how they are going to do their pricing. So for example, if that person determines they want to do three projects so that they can get some material for portfolio to, to show, right? To say, oh, I do this, I do that. They want those three projects to be of a certain quality they already determined that if the going price in their area, because the pricing is regional, right? Different regions have different, different pricing expectations. If they determine mm -hmm. the going price for one bedroom, 10 by 12 bedroom in their area, let's just say is $2,500. And they say, well, you know what? I'm going to charge $500 for three people that she's going to hand pick so she can get those pictures for her portfolio. That's a lot of work right? That's mm -hmm. my point. But she needs the collateral, the brand collateral for the portfolio. So she has something to show to the market. So she's right. willing to absorb that cost because it's for another, it's for a benefit for the future. 
So after that mm-hmm. one time, let's say she's planned that out for six months. After those six months, she's going to then bump her prices up to perhaps 50 to 65% of what the market in her area says is, is the standard. And she might do that for another six months or three more projects. Now, now we're at a year. So after a year, I believe if she's done the highest quality work and given more in value than people expect, she can get her prices after one year at the rate that the market is for her area. Oh, man, that's some good advice. And (laughs) thank you for listeners that are in that predicament. I really hope you took that to heart because you can to be able to do that in a year. If you do it right, it's all about strategy. Things need to make sense. Being intentional, being disciplined, being committed, and mm-hmm. not, not getting worn down by saying in that first six months, saying, I'm doing all this work and I'm only charging them five. Well, you know, that's the, that's the cost of getting into business in the initial phases. It's a little cost there. And you got to be willing to pay that cost. You're basically sowing into yourself so you can reap later. Well, you did mention that you are on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. What are your handles so that people can find you? Oh, sure. Denise Joy Hart. That's easy. So, <laughs> yep. and I, I will also say I got that joy in the middle of my heart. Joy Hart. <laughs> and I will also include that information in the description part of this episode as well. And then, yeah, you dropped so much wisdom, so much tips and advice to listeners in this short period of time, I've just been sitting here like taking mental notes. <laughs> awesome. That, that's fantastic. Just, just taking mental notes. So Denise, it was a joy having you. Oh, thank you. Today. Really it really it. was. Again, listeners, if you want to connect with her uh, on YouTube, her show is Thrifty Fly DIY. And she's on uh, Facebook. Instagram and Twitter. And then Denise, do you have a website? I do. My website is actually heart, H-A-R-T, heartofthecell.com. Heart of the cell. It's a play on my last name. I see. (laughs) I see. Well, thank you so much, uh, Denise. Okay. I I really appreciate it. Appreciate you. Now, if you enjoyed today's episode, Go ahead and share on social media. Tag Crafty Hands Club Mag using the hashtag CHC Podcast. If you have any comments or questions about this episode, feel free to send an email info at craftyhandsclub.com. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode. See you next time.